Hello, welcome to Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons and this is the podcast that asks well-known writers, filmmakers, actors, musicians and creators what they're up to and what they're watching. So you get bags of recommendations from the best in the business. And this week, my guests are Hollywood legends. I did watch My Man Godfrey, which is a fast-paced screwball comedy. It's brilliant. You should give yourself the treat of it. I can always watch The Godfather Part 1 and The Godfather Part 2. You can't spend better time than watching those movies. You heard there from Tim Robbins, star of The Shawshank Redemption and Mystic River. He won the Best Supporting Actor for that at the Oscars in 2004. And he's directed several movies, including Dead Man Walking... And you also heard from Bob Gale, Oscar-nominated screenwriter of the Back to the Future trilogy, with whom we celebrate Back to the Future Day this week and the influences on those genre-bending, genre-defining movies. Plus, I've got a beautiful 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray of the trilogy for one lucky listener out there. That's surely a real seen-anything-good-lately contender. So, we'll hear from Tim Robbins and Bob Gale shortly, although first... I should tell you if I've seen anything good lately. Let's start with some London Film Festival news. They've got that to finish off. Uh, What won the award this year? It wasn't a jury award. It was judged by the audience. So it's an audience award. Uh, That went to Another Round, which was directed by Dane Thomas Vinterberg. Yes, he of Feston and The Hunt. Uh, And starring the always watchable Mads Mikkelsen. It's a provocative comedy about some teachers, all male teachers at a Danish high school, who decide to experiment with being drunk all day. Just keeping the body at sort of the optimum level of drunkenness, like you taking your blood levels and making sure they've just got enough alcohol in them to be just perfectly drunk all the way through. It is a comedy, and immediately this sort of improves their teaching performance, brings them out of their shell, makes them great inspirational teachers, and then things fall apart. I liked it. I can see a Hollywood remake coming very soon. But don't wait for that. You can catch another round, or in Danish it's just called Drunk, uh, when it comes out in the UK in late November. With henblik på indsamling af evidens, psykologiske og psykoratoriske følgevirkninger samt undersøgelse af forøget social og faglig ydelse. Det er kun i arbejdstiden, vi drikker, ikke? Men det er jo ligesom Hemingway. Vi drikker ikke efter 8 og ikke i weekenden. Also at the London Film Festival, I caught a film called After Love by Aleem Khan, a young British filmmaker making his debut. Uh, It's about a white Muslim woman living very observantly in Dover, uh, played very well by Joanna Scanlon, whose husband dies suddenly and she discovers that he had another secret life. Uh, another family, uh, just a ferry ride away in Calais. I don't know when this film's coming out, but do keep an eye out for it. It's fascinating and it's full of really interesting scenes that I'd never seen before. Uh, It's got lots of ideas, obviously, about British identity, about religion, uh, about personal identity, family, freedom, and of course, love. It's called After Love. Let's go to my first guest today, and that's Tim Robbins. Yes, Tim Robbins from The Player and The Shawshank Redemption and The Hudsucker Proxy, you know 
for kids uh, from War of the Worlds. Uh, he's also director of Dead Man Walking, the political satire Bob Roberts and Cradle Will Rock. Well, he's now turned to podcasting. So I thought I'd get him on my podcast. Tim, however, has made a podcast film, what he's calling Oral Cinema, uh, a satirical comedy called Bobo Supreme, which stars himself and is written by him, and it's about an overinflated, egotistical, golf-playing, maniacal president surrounded by folding, petrified staff and women, with characters played by Jack Black, and Isla Fisher and Peyton Oswald. Of course, don't worry, it's only a satire. So when I tracked down Tim Robbins, I, of course, began by asking what satire meant these days. In satire, you have to go a little further uh, with the reality of it to find a new reality, a new truth. And uh, so, you know, Babo's White House is a a circus-like atmosphere where there's game show sets and morning show sets and a recording studio and a strip club and all these different, uh, you know, satirical extensions of uh, imaginings of what might be if we were to uh, if we were to just release the inner id and without shame <laughs> well you, you did it not that I, I say it's not that long ago it probably is 1992 isn't it bob roberts was uh, it's, it's a generation ago how much did you have to change the satire do you think from bob roberts era to this era it sounds like you've ramped it up a bit yeah well bob roberts if he were in washington now would be an elder statesman it's not really bob roberts it's I kind of, you know, as I was sitting down to write it, I, I, I imagined Bob Roberts and I couldn't write from that point of view. So I, I, re- I remembered a character that I played when I was in my 20s called Ubu Wa, which is this uh, surrealist, uh, Dadaist, expressionist, weird beast of an id, uh, a play written in 1900. And the first performance of it, the Parisian audience was so outraged by the character that they tore up the seats of the theater and rioted. Yes. Uh, remind me of the author again of Ubu. Uh, Alfred Jarry. Uh, Jarry, of course. Yeah. Well, it's one of the great absurdist work. Yes. And it kind of shifted the way that people thought about what could be done in, in a theatrical venue. It seems like he has stopped breathing. Something has happened. Is he asleep? He's not breathing. He's in his bedroom at the White House. <laughs> Shit. What the fuck? Oh, you're okay. You're okay. Everybody loves you. What? Morning. You. You. My bunny. Boop. You've been there, Mabu. All night. Were you choking me just now? What? <laughs> like, silly. Oh, no, it's just, did I uh, stop breathing? Not a once. No need to stress. Everybody loves you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I you can't kiss. kiss you. I haven't had a corona test for two days. I was thinking, I knew I was going to talk to you, and I was just thinking, oh, we're going to quick, quick Tim Robbins, you know, you know, what do you, you kind of, you know, spitball Tim Robbins, word association, you know, obviously Andy Dufresne comes up, and I just thought, God, what if Andy Dufresne spent all that time tunneling out of his room, and he got out, and he, and he came into to now, <laughs> to 2020. <laughs> <To> lockdown. <laughs> oh, man. You can remake Shawshank, and he'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going, I'm going back in. Well, you know, I, I we do workshops with uh, formerly incarcerated people. We also have a, a program for when they get out. And we've been doing these workshops uh, earlier this summer. And it was one of the things we were asking them to write about, which is some of them had just gotten released. And here they are released into another kind of lockdown. It's uh, It's been really interesting to see what they've been writing. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating to me. Is there anything you've been doing, uh, Tim? Have you seen anything good lately? I, I did watch My Man Godfrey. 
just recently, which is a, a fast-paced screwball comedy from the '30s. I don't know that one. Is that a Preston? Oh, is that a Preston Sturgis one? Is that a? No, it's this. Uh, it's brilliant. You should give yourself the treat of it. It's uh, William Powell and uh, oh. Errol Lombard, and the funniest, funniest. Uh, comedy that's it's, the perfect you know if you could have had those i mean i know that you've got a great cast but if you could have had them you could have had carol lombard or Myrna well <laughs> listen this is my celebrity uh crush for heaven is uh is carol lombard i hope to meet her someday <laughs> well i hope you're not going there yet you know <laughs> oh no it'll be a 20 30 years is that right your there. is that your one of your little not guilty pleasures that when you, when you do need a little time off and to, when you're doing a project it's a little balm is to watch a, a classic like that the screwballs the black and whites i love them i love them yeah i know we put them on like albums you know like like favorite music you know we put you can put films on and they have that you know them well you know the rhythms and they they, they soothe they kind of make you sure of something in a way yes yes La Cava, that's the name of the director of uh, My Man Godfrey. Right, La well Cava. well remembered there. I didn't want to put yeah. you on the, on the spot with it, but it's a, it's a great <laughs> recommendation because I don't know that one as well. There are so yeah. many of them and you delve into that that little that little world as well. And they're, they're different. They're not like rom-coms. You know, people sort of say they, they were the progenitors of rom-coms, but they know they're, they're political and they're sort of satirical too. They're, they're social. They understand that they were talking to the audiences at the time that were going through a lot of uh, loss and economic hardship and they were lifting their spirits in a way that was uh, a format that was very funny but also acknowledged the uh, the time they were in in in, in my man godfrey uh, it all starts with a treasure hunt uh, 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 rich people games and these rich people wind up at this homeless place and one of the objectives of the treasure hunt is to get the a forgotten man and that's william powell and they bring him back to this party and he becomes this you know a, a way that this rich person carol lombard wins the contest and uh they wind up giving him a job as the butler of their household but it was it, you know it went right from the start of this movie it went right into the reality of what was happening right then and, and that's uh that's beautiful storytelling yeah, same so thing with the, with capra he did the same thing and so the, uh, the smartness of layers yes i was thinking of capra there's a capra even though yours is a you know, different pitch to capra as well and but yours has a a capra-esque quality in a way because there's this there's this guy there's a mr smith goes to washington quality i haven't seen i haven't listened to the whole of the series yet so i don't quite know where it's going but you know there is that there is a political element to your thing well more than a than an element to yours but it it, it takes place there needs to be a sort of way into this this world uh, and that capra was always great at providing that yes and he was uh, he was uh comedy it's all it's all it's all in the comedy it's it's in finding ways to create an entertainment that is palatable for people that can also talk to them and, and know who they are and, and tell a story that resonates with them and reflects their fears and, and their um, and their concerns. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you do it and when you perform it, and then you've got to direct it and give the parts to other actors, for example. Do they all have to be on board with the satire? Do you have to take a political thermometer and sort of say, well, you know, you know some of you may you know, be on the other side? Or do you have to get everyone and say, right, you've got to have a certain point of view to be able to play along with me on this? You know, I sent the script to a whole bunch of people and uh, they all loved it. So it's their inner barometer, their, their inner, you know, judgment. They they all were on board. They, they saw the... the uh, 
purpose of it right now. Yeah, well, I think you and your great cast, I have to say, because they also have to play with you and keep the energy from Isla Fisher and Peyton Oswalt. You've got some great, great voices in there. And the joy actually hearing them, it's very funny because in the old days when radio was famous and Elk Wells was doing his stuff, we didn't really know what they looked like, these famous voices on radio. You know, but now you, we make podcasts and you have a, a hugely famous cast. But actually just listening to the voices, I was still thinking, which one is that? Is that? I was trying to match up the cast list to uh, the voice. It's quite interesting. You know, you, make, you pay more attention with the ear now. Now you know the cast i wonder if when you're casting how you did that was it voice casting was it just like you know that the actor can do it or and, you know it's a different different sort of timbre of casting isn't it it is um and you know it's a wholly different uh realm uh the voice as opposed to the voice with the image um and so there the the people i chose had very distinctive voices you know there's a couple people that you didn't mention that i love were in the original bob roberts uh, both jack black and um Ray Wise. Uh, Ray Wise plays the uh, chief of staff of Bobo Supreme and, and Jack Black plays this kind of special advisor, wormy little guy called Dweeb, uh, <laughs> who may or may not be uh, based on a certain person that's around Trump right now. Um, <laughs> but it is a great challenge uh, because, and the actors told me that it was really exciting to be able to work this way. Um, number one, because they the, the pressures of being in a film, how you look, uh, showing up, you know, at six in the morning, all that stuff was away and they could simply concentrate on what the words were and, the, and how, to, how, to, how to encompass the character with just the voice. And, and so then it was also uh, incumbent upon us as, uh, as we were creating it to create the soundscape so that the listener could imagine themselves in that room. The sound effects are, are really important. Uh, from the footsteps to the, the sounds of what was happening outside the White House. All of these things are, are kind of create a, um, a, a bedrock for the actors to work in. I'd say it reminds you, of course, of Bob Roberts, because that's a political satire that you did on the big screen to great success. But it, it, what it really reminded me of was uh, Cradle Will Rock, the, oh. the whole Orson Welles kind of community theater, the Mercury theater, you know, vibe that was going on there. And, you know, the, that was about the, the, the musical Credible Rock. But of course, he did it so well with War of the Worlds, which is another another part that you were in as well. So I was just wondering how much Wells was uh, was in your head here. Well, what a groundbreaking, amazing experience they created in the 30s with the Mercury Theater. Uh, Wells was a, a genius. And one of the things he understood uh, about the stories he was telling was they had to uh, resonate with the audience. So War of the Worlds, was done while there was an actual threat of a fascist invasion. And so so that he tapped into a collective psyche, a collective anxiety. That's why there was such a panic around that thing. Also, he created a soundscape that was genius. It sounded like they were in New Jersey at this, you know, when the invasion happened. It, it, it was amazing that the with the states of emotion that they were able to create this reality that fooled so many people. He also did it with uh, Julius Caesar with the Mercury Theater, uh, a play that really reflected the times that, that was uh, tapped into a collective anxiety. So yes, it, it deeply inspired by the work that the Mercury Theater did. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I, I picked up on that. And I, was, I was also thinking, obviously, because War of the Worlds was so famous because everyone believed it was actually happening. All the audience was believing. The one thing with Bobo Supreme is that this sort of, uh, you know, madness in the White House, this could possibly, this could never happen, Tim Robbins. Of course, <laughs> it's completely fanciful. <laughs> <laughs> Complete fantasy, yes. <laughs> Do you think that um, that this is the future in some way? I mean, so you could have made this as a multi-million-dollar, you know, uh, the TV show or I guess a movie in some way that, in your DNA. But 
you know, wh- where we are now in the pandemic, you know, you, you, you pivoted pretty quickly and said, well, I'm going to make this a podcast five, uh, is it five or six episodes um, that, that you've got coming out. Is this a, some kind of a, a future model or is this just a, a, like a one-off or did you find it such so creative and freeing that you think, well, I'll do more of this? I'd love to do more. I, I have a couple other scripts that I'd love to try to bring to life in this format. Um, it's very freeing to, to be able to, you know, with all these limitations and with uh, uh, uncertain future as far as what we are going to do as actors and directors and producers and writers. I feel it's a, a viable entertainment. The idea that we can create something new right now is super important. These times are so crucial. And uh, because we cannot be producing how we've normally been producing, I think it's incumbent upon artists and uh, creative people to figure out new avenues. Uh, It's, you know, every time I've ever done a project, there has been a huge obstacle in front of me. This is the biggest one. This is this, and you know, it's it's like, do you climb the mountain or do you quit? And at some point, you just have to say, well, you know, it, we can get over it. It's just a matter of having humility in the face of this. You know, knowing that the limitations that are placed on you will oftentimes, if you don't resist them, lead to the most creative decision. Do you watch much TV comedy or the the streaming comedies? Do you are you a kind of a watcher of, you know, series and box sets and the long form mm-hmm. telly now? Not a lot. I loved Fleabag. I thought that was genius. Uh, Great. And I've, I've, oh, good. I'm, glad, mostly... I'm always glad when I think, you know, a nice, a nice little British thing and a London thing can just kind of, you know, reach all the way to you and you're watching it. And she's so great in that and the, the way it breaks the wall. Well, British comedy has had a huge effect on my sensibilities, you know, from Monty Python to um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and uh, the Goonies. And, you know, <laughs> there's been just so much genius coming out of. England. Yeah, but of course, when you the the, the pitch of your uh, of your show, I mean, the the, the goons would be great. Uh, you know, they had that 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 energy as well when they did all their radio shows. You know, the Spike Milligans and uh, and the Michael Bentys. That that power that they had uh, is is very much evident in listening to your to your podcast. In fact, to, to, to it's that Google. kind of it's that kind of <clears throat> that um, you know brash courage. Uh, yes, we know this is improper, but fuck you you know <laughs> we're gonna we're doing it we're saying it uh, oh yeah we just said it you know deal with it i love it i love it it's that that's the spirit of the harlequino that's the spirit of the the fool in the king's court it's it's like i know what the truth is you might not want to hear it but i'm going to say it and you're going to laugh at it when can we see it are we gonna it's great to hear you in this uh, of course okay, is there something that you've got lined up can we see you in something soon on the, on the screen or on a netflix or an amazon series or something what have you what have you done that's in the can <laughs> i i finished uh uh something a year and a half ago called castle rock but that's still out there on hulu but you can check out some old movies of mine that i think i'm very proud of that haven't been widely seen we, uh, one of them is michael winterbottom's code 46 which i think is a beautiful movie. it's a beautiful i don't know why it's a forgotten movie even in michael's prolific canon it's sort of one of his forgotten ones samantha morton yourself in it brilliant i, I love that movie uh, there's a movie called secret life of words is isabel cosette made uh, it's a beautiful romance there's a another movie called catch a fire that didn't get seen much uh, about south africa and the apartheid movement one of the things i love about the time we're living in is that the creative things that you do are, are naturally extended given the amount of uh, venues that you can go to, to to receive them. And that's a, ultimately a good thing. I, I, I hope that the algorithms that are being created will have room for 
movies like uh, Michael's and uh, Isabel's. Uh, the, the, they're beautiful movies that didn't get a huge push, but uh, still exist and still work. And, and they're popping rules. up on, on, the, on, the, on the streamers now? We can access it? I, I hope so. I don't know. I don't. I, you haven't I, Googled I, yourself I, for a while, Tim. I haven't. I haven't been too busy. <laughs> well, you should because, you, you know, it's, it's going, things are going well. These people are loving on Twitter. At least I know on the, that they're loving uh, uh, this new work, Bubble Supreme. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a, 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 I'm hoping more and more people will listen to it as the episodes go on. You know, it's such a, a tight world that you've created there. It's, it's uh, oral cinema. Uh, film for the ears. <laughs> yeah, which is, is, is the way forward, I think, Tim Robbins. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Great to catch up with that, uh, your Screwball recommendation. I need to go and find that immediately. You're uh, going to love it. As well as the, the, the overlooked works of Tim Robbins. I, I feel a series coming on. <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real pleasure. Uh, and great to see you. And great to see you well as well. And uh, let me know if you're going to do more of these. Because this, po- this podcast thing, I like this punk. It's kind of a punk thing. You know, I'm, I'm in my room. I, I, I think you're in your your house there you know we it's it's amazing that we can do this entertainment from from where we are don't you think it's kind of has leveled the playing field you know Uh, if if there's no 40 50 60 million dollar movies being done then it's kind of possible for all of us to exist in the same plane so i love it well Long may it rain. Well, not long may it rain. I'd like, I say long may it rain because I, you know, I want to get back to normal. I want to get when you get back in the studio. We want to make films. You want to be in the theater or wherever it was you want to do. But this is a new element that creative people have come up with during a difficult time. So you know. Yes, I I, uh, I would like to get back to work too in that way. But I also can't wait to get to the next one of these. Yeah. Uh, be, by the way, um, have you voted? I have my ballot arriving today, and I'll be putting it in the mail tonight. Good, good to know. I mean, we can't get involved. It's in the UK. We feel like you know, we, we we follow it every step of the way, and we're powerless to do anything. We have to watch like a sort of you know unfolding. I was going to say soap opera, but it's sometimes it's a horror movie. So I don't know it goes it toggles between the two. So we we we, we see all you guys saying, "I voted, I'm voting." We're like, "Go, go!" But we can't do anything about it. So we yes, but now with the internet, your reach has extended into our country, and so this is an important message that we should be saying to everybody. To, uh, to you're you're right. Yeah, well, we're, yeah. we're not Russia. We can't influence the whole thing. We just sit back and, and, <laughs> and enjoy. Uh, listen, good luck. And, uh, you know, November the 2nd, is it? Uh, you know, let's hope that we get the right result. Okay. And, yes, and, then, you're, and, you then, so and then your satire will become part of history, you know, rather than like increasingly more relevant. Depending on whether the uh, results are accepted or not, in which case the Babo Supreme will be relevant for quite a long time. There you go. You see, <laughs> hedging your bets. But it, it, satire is always relevant, as we've heard from your, your screwball recommendations there. Tim Robbins, brilliant to see you and congratulations. Th- great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And you can listen to all five episodes of Bobo Supreme on Patreon right now. So if you go to the Tim Robbins Presents page on Patreon, It's all there. This podcast was inspired by people always asking me, seen anything good lately, Jace? So here's another one. I watched The Social Dilemma after a few guests on this show recommended it recently. David Johns, uh, in particular, I remember recommending it. Catch up with that episode with Dave Johns. I knew that the film would scare my wife because she gets very het up about political issue docs. You know, she boils with rage. So I've steered her clear of it. But we finally relented over the weekend, feeling... 
you know, let's watch that because it's better than watching the news these days. And it was totally involving the social dilemma, if obviously terrifying, very slickly done with former employees of the tech giants, you know, Twitter and Google and Instagram and Pinterest, telling us basically that the machines are taking over and making us social media addicts and the various ways in which they do it. Every click, every swipe, every like, every refresh, every second of every eyeball on your phone screen. It's all going to profile us and make us susceptible to influence and thought. I mean, part of me thought, yeah, 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 no shit, Sherlock. I kind of knew this. But then I also thought, look, these are some very, very smart people who are on this problem and they're at least pointing to a future they've identified it and they've realized that it's unethical it's immoral and that the world is going to implode with the rise of these machines because too much data will eat itself so it's very cleverly done in that respect it did make my wife worried and het up i do feel for my children who won't be allowed to be on their tablets and never use a mobile phone i think after this but it is there it's the social dilemma watch it on netflix before it watches you which it's probably already doing, or something. Right, happy Back to the Future Day, everyone. October the 21st is the date, and most specifically, October the 21st, 2015, which is where Marty and Doc, played by Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, set the dial to in Back to the Future 2. The writer Bob Gale and director Bob Zemeckis Their vision is there for all to see still. And some of it is uncannily accurate, really. What they got right in 1989 when they were writing those those sequels. uh, They did two and three together after the huge success of the original, which was made in 1985. Uh, And then they went back to 1955 in the original, you'll remember, which is brilliant. Um, and is great fun for all the family, as are two and three. Three is the Western, then they go back to 1885, and, of course, the future that they go to uh, to prevent the space-time continuum in number two is October the 21st, 2015. Uh, It is quite accurate, apart from the hoverboards, and I don't think they could have quite imagined where we'd be five years after that in 2020. The trilogy is now available in a box set of Ultra HD 4K, looking spick and span, and to mark the occasion, I got hold of Bob Gale. He was the Oscar-nominated writer of this extraordinary concept, this long-lasting comic science fiction concept that has entered the lexicon and everyone knows about from generation to generation. It really has entered Hollywood legend. And I'm delighted to be joined by Bob Gale, Oscar-nominated screenwriter for Back to the Future. He joins me on the line from America. Which which year are you in? Are you in 85 uh, or 2015? Well, I, Jason, I'm, I'm sad to say I am stuck in the year 2020, uh, the year that none of us want to be in right now. This is it. It just uh, seems the oddest time to have an anniversary. If I could get into any car and whisk myself away from any year, it would be this one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, they'll be, they'll be telling jokes about this year for a long time once we get past it far enough for it to be funny, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you were thinking uh, all those years ago about which year to go back to and, and how the maths was going to work, because, I mean, one decision like that, I I, I guess it decides all the, the all the three sequels. I'm, I'm sure you didn't know you were going to be doing a, a trilogy when you started, but what made you go back to 55 in particular? We, we had this idea. We actually started writing the script in 1980 and 1981. So in those drafts, it was... Uh, the the movie took place in the year 1982, 
and Marty travels back 30 years to 1952. And we wanted to do the 50s so that he could invent rock and roll. That was always one of our key moments. And so as the movie got delayed and pushed back, we gave Marty older siblings uh, to explain <laughs> how there could be 30, the 30 years difference uh, between himself uh, and his father. Now, interestingly enough, the difference in age between myself and my father was 29 years. Uh, we both attended the exact same high school. Uh, my father graduated in 1940 and I graduated in 1969. So the idea of a 30-year difference you know, that came sort of right out of my own personal experience. Well, I did. I mean, you've you've you discovered the idea when you were delving into your your your, your dad's high school yearbook, I think, is the famous story. That's, what did your that's dad exactly right? Right. What did your yeah. dad what did your dad think of it? I mean, I, I, I don't know if, they, if the character is that based on him, but what did he think of it when he finally saw it? George McFly is not based on my father. My father uh, is the antithesis of George McFly. <laughs> uh, he was a. He was, say, president of his class. He was the president of the debate team. He was uh, very active in, in school activities. People didn't push him around. But when he saw the movie, he was blown away, as was my mom. They were just, they loved it so much. And the icing on the cake was that when Bob Zemeckis and I were nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay, I managed to get my parents' tickets to the Oscar ceremony. Never expected to win, didn't, not surprised, but just the fact that I knew they were there in the audience, loving the fact that their son was here at the Oscars, nominated. I mean, it was it was such a joy to me. Yeah, well, who wouldn't like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's just an incredible, just an incredible achievement. And also, if you think about it, I, you know, you, you, the small town that you came from, in a way that you mentioned there, you're probably the only Oscar nominee that's coming out of there, out of that high school. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a suburb of, of a big city, a suburb of St. Louis. So I didn't have a small town upbringing by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, there are not too many Oscar nominees Certainly none from my high school and not a whole lot from St. Louis. Either. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, you, you got Meet Me in St. Louis. It's, it's, it's just about the most famous it gets from there. Did you consult with your parents on on the, the kind of world that you were going back to? Did you did you use that or was it just the inspiration? And then you sort of said, right, we, we're going to do um, Americana from the 50s. We know what that is. Or did you actually ask them what it was like being at a high school? What it was like being a sweetheart at the time. I had asked my parents, how did they meet and how did they get together and all that? Because uh, I was interested in that. But that was even prior to coming up with this idea. L listen, we're always nostalgic about 30 years prior to us, right? One of the easiest predictions that we were able to make in Back to the Future Part Two is that uh, in 2015, people would be very nostalgic about the 80s. Yes. Uh, people still are, actually. I, I think uh, they're even more nostalgic about the 80s now than they were, you know, than they were when you were thinking they were going to be. <laughs> they absolutely well, love it. In 2020, everybody's nostalgic about any time. Everything. Period. You know, we're nostalgic Except about now. 2019. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So we were fascinated by it. I mean, the American graffiti had come out uh, in 1973. There were other, other uh, movies about the 50s, Porky's, and, and we thought, okay, yeah, this this is the right time. It, it was the birth of rock and roll, and that was so important 
And the, mm. I think the birth of the teenager, the birth of the youth quake movement, you know, films like Grease, for example, which I, I, I yeah. loved and, and, and still love that movie. Uh, you, you, it all taps into that. For me, it's a birth of, the, you know, the great American dream. Everyone's kind of bursting out all over. So it's, it's a wonderful time to go back to. And you're just you're just a slightly bit before, as you say, when, when he picks up the electric guitar and just plays it. I mean, that's just uh, I mean, it's one of the great jokes, isn't it? It's like, it's like a, a gag, but it's one of the great. I don't know what you call it, like a comic sequence in a way. Whatever it is everybody loves it and um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you an interesting little anecdote about that about that a couple uh, first of all when we were deciding what song was Marty going to play there was really no second choice uh, it had to be Johnny Be Good it was a song that we both loved uh, it seemed that you had to honor Chuck Berry mm. as uh, you know as the, as the godfather of rock and roll whether he's the actual originator or not you know he's he is you know, one of at least three seminal figures in the birth of rock and roll. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens, there stood a log cabin made of earth and wood, where lived a country boy named Johnny B. Good, who never ever learned to read or write so well, but he could play a guitar just like a ring in a bell. Go, 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 Johnny, go, go. What are you watching right now? Have you seen anything good lately, uh, Bob Gale? I just got finished watching the, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary that's running on Netflix called The Last Dance. Mm. Uh, and I'm not actually a big basketball fan, nor uh, is my wife, but uh, it's a great human story uh, in addition to being about sports. So found that fascinating. Yeah, and it's about uh, the human, the human element, isn't it? a lot of it? documentaries. You do? Mm-hmm. Why, why, is yes, docu- why, does doc- I, I why do documentaries? documentaries uh... Because I'm always learning. It mm. helps me learn. A lot of times I'll watch a movie now, I'll go back and watch the classics a lot. Uh, And during the pandemic, yes, going back and watching a lot of classics. But watching movies that don't quite work, I'd rather watch a movie for the fifth time that works and marvel at how it is put together than watch a movie for the first time that is just all full of problems and doesn't really kind of hold together. So what have you seen? Give me, give me a couple. I, I got a, I got a pandemic. Pandemic hasn't gone away yet. I need a need a couple on my list, Bob Gale. <laughs> uh, I can always watch. I can always watch The Godfather Part One and The Godfather Part Two. For anybody who hasn't seen those movies, set aside the amount of time. Don't interrupt it. Just watch it. Turn off your phone. Turn off your devices. The first one's three hours. Second one's three and a half hours. Were they influences on your one and two in the way that you know Godfather Two goes back in time and tells the story of uh, of how it all started? Was it? I, I, I feel some influences must have come out if you were doing a certainly in Back to the Future Two. You know that when you're doing a sequel, you have to kind of say, right, well, Coppola's sequel to Godfather Two is a superlative example of the thing. Uh, you know what? I guess I guess you could say that. Although. Remember, the first Back to the Future always was going back to the 50s. So we weren't thinking about we weren't thinking about the Godfather movies when, when we did that. We were we, we were just thinking about the 50s and um, uh, the George Powell version of the Time Machine, which uh, really illustrated time travel beautifully. You know, as to what other what other movies recently watched the great Howard Hawks film His Girl Friday with uh, Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Marvelous picture, hilarious, one of the fastest paced movies ever made. Uh, It's a play, but boy, you just get so caught up in it. Uh, So I think that's one of the, one of the godfathers of, uh, of, of, of the rom-com genre. Yeah. That picture. You you like Screwball, Um, huh? You like that pitter-pat dialogue. 
Next screwball comedies, of course, uh, as, as you can tell from Back to the Future Part 3, uh, Westerns are, uh, are very, uh, <laughs> very important to me. Uh, Red River, My Darling Clementine, uh, The Searchers, the Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns, of course, which we literally quote. In, in, in Back to the Future 2 and 3. It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra movie, of course, is a huge influence on Back to the Future Part 2. You know, what would my life have been like if things had turned out different? And um, we certainly took a lot of inspiration from that. So again, for anybody uh, checking this out who has not seen It's a Wonderful Life, uh, put that way near the top of your list. Well, I think uh, there's an angel just got its wings there, Bob, as you uh, as you mentioned uh, mentioned that one. Uh, thank you so much. Really, really great to, to to talk old movies with you as well. What a real pleasure that is. Uh, and yours now comes. Uh, amazing to think that you mentioned all those amazing movies there, Bob Gale. And you know, actually, what happens now is that your movie that every year that we get in, we have an anniversary, we get that your movie takes its place in the pantheon uh, alongside those movies. That must be tremendously gratifying. It's very gratifying, Jason, and. And, and about a year ago, it occurred to me that the first time I saw The Wizard of Oz, uh, I was probably about nine years old, saw it on television, of course. And Back to the Future is now older to a nine-year-old today than The Wizard of Oz was when I first saw it. And that, that kind of made my head explode a little bit there. <laughs> uh, I can only say, great Scott to something like that. <laughs> <laughs> when you were thinking that I, I, I guess we should look at the trilogy as a whole because jumping forward to 2015 um, that that's an extraordinary thing because what I love about your your what I, and I loved at the time I'm not a massive sci-fi uh, kind of guy because I always thought they, they made the sci-fi future always look really miserable it always looked like a you know a miserable place they sort of banned laughter in the future your sci-fi your vision of the future when I first saw it it looked actually oh someone's made a fun place to be I thought that was a, a, a master stroke. That was very important to us. Uh, we wanted the future to be better than the, than the present. Um, we did want people to have exactly that reaction. And we said, okay, here's the, here's the rule. The technology uh, and the environment of the future is going to be better, but people are going to be equally as messed up in the future as they are today. <laughs> so uh, Marty will have all these exact same kind of family problems that everybody can identify with, he'll just have those problems amidst really cool technology that everybody says, oh man, I wish I had a flying car. Oh man, I wish uh, I had two-way communication on my on my uh, television, which of course we do now. Well, so, look at us, look at yeah. us talking. We've, we've, we've done Back to the Future, we're Zooming, you know, even you didn't exactly. come up with that we're one. We're doing Bob. it right now. <laughs> you should have invested in it, I tell you. <laughs> The, uh, the hoverboard as well. Just, just, let's, let's finish this one once and for all. The hoverboard, you invented it. It doesn't exist. There's no real hoverboards because I'm still waiting for my delivery. Not even Amazon can deliver me one. No, there's this thing that they call a hoverboard, but it's got a, it's got a wheel on it. It's not really a hoverboard. There are people out there, however, trying to invent them. Uh, and a company <laughs> up in, uh, up in the, the San Jose area actually did invent a version of it that used magnetic uh, levitation to do it. I actually rode on it. Uh, I wasn't any good on it. I fell off pretty quickly. Hey, you're right. Um, Worried about your back. Yeah. <laughs> you had to do it on a on a metal surface. It, it, it required a whole lot of, a lot of, uh, of technology to do it. But, you know, this is how 
movies and science fiction and, 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 and stories inspire people to, to invent stuff. When we, when we are celebrating the 45th anniversary, we do have hoverboards. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 stop! Little girl, little girl, stop! Look, hey. I need to borrow your hoverboard. Where is he? Here, there. He's on a hoverboard. I'm wondering how how much of the science that you got into as a writer, as a screenwriter, uh, you know, you, you you look at structure and you look at dialogue and you look at a character. But when you're dealing with the time travel and the future that you did and going back to the future and forward to the future, did you? I mean, I, the dates always get me. He's got to be this old in 1955. He's got to meet this happen. It's got to happen. How how much of the minutiae of of the time bendingness did you get into? I'm not, you know, like Christopher Nolan does it with Tenet right now, and everyone comes out scratching their head. Right. So if that went that way, did you? get into all that it seems yours was a much simpler plan I, I never came out scratching my head from your movies all all those details we we looked at from every which way and tried to make it as tight and clear as possible and you know the fact that uh eight and nine year olds can watch back to the future and have a complete understanding of how time travel works mm. um that's pretty cool and of course there's that great scene in uh, in avengers endgame where they're sitting around talking about their, their plan and Robert Downey Jr. says, wait a minute, you mean your whole plan here is based on Back to the Future? And Ant-Man says, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, and and they, they actually use it as sort of a, a benchmark uh, reference point to explain what they're going to do, what's like Back to the Future and what isn't like Back to the yes. Future. So, I was I was very flattered that that happened. Yeah, and uh, your relationship with Bob Zemeckis—he's uh, still going strong, still uh, directing films like There's No Tomorrow or like There Was No Yesterday, I suppose, to use a Back to the Future <laughs> <laughs> terminology. Uh, still inventing all the time. I mean, I, I, if I may say, I know he's a friend of yours. Uh, I always think he's one of the most underrated directors out there. Every film he seems to come up with a great concept and hugely inventive. Whether, whether it's Polar Express on a visual front or something like Castaway on a philosophical front you know there's always uh, some games that Bob Zemeckis seems to want to play with us all the time and well, that, the that's toes. what pushes him that's that, that's what gets him excited to say okay we can we can tell this story in this way but wouldn't it be much cooler if we could try this and try that and everything he learns in each movie he builds on uh, to use in the next one. Uh, Bob, you you know, you write the, the, the film, you write the trilogy, and a lot of it depends on moments. You know, we've got to get to this point in time so that this point in time in the future can happen or in the past can happen. What, what about you? Do, do you have a moment that you kind of say, well, gosh, if I... If I just turn left instead of right, then all of this would have been different. I suppose we call them sliding doors moments now after the <laughs> after the comedy here in the UK. So then you, your your term Back to the Future has entered the lexicon as has sliding doors for those for those moments. Do you have some of those in terms of your career and how you got together on this project with Bob Zemeckis, perhaps? Well, sure. Everybody has sliding door moments. Every every life is full of those type of things. My freshman year, uh, I was an engineering student uh, at Tulane University in New Orleans. If Somehow I would have stuck with engineering. You know, I would have never come to California and never had a career in filmmaking. You might have done something more useful, Bob. You might have invented something. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. No, Bob and I have always joked that if it hadn't been for the movie business uh, and us getting into it, we'd have probably grown up to become criminals. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're sometimes they're close, <laughs> as you know, from Hollywood. I mean, your career in Hollywood, oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> your career in Hollywood has been fantastic and spectacular. But I guess in the life of every screenwriter, I know you, you, you do a lot of talking to, to prospective screenwriters, prospective screeners. What advice do you give them when, when they're setting out? I mean, you make a, a trilogy that, as you say, people are still talking about in many, many years to come. What do you say to how, how to approach a screenplay like that and, and have that classic well, sheen to it? So many things happen by accident. And that's Certainly, the most important thing for you to do is educate yourself. Get familiar with all the great classic films. Get familiar with Shakespeare, with dramatic structure, because rules are rules. And you can't break the rules until you totally understand mm. what the rules are. And there are uh, certain rules of drama that are very, very important. You know, Hitchcock laid so many of them out in terms of how do you create suspense. And you watch the history of Hitchcock's movies and you see how he learned uh okay i i screwed it up here uh and then he goes back and he does it better uh the next time and by the time he's later in his career the, the guy has his his uh mechanics running you know like a perfectly tuned machine the films of billy wilder were very inspirational to uh to bob and myself uh, frank capra i mean these movies where story and character were king as opposed to, okay, let's just do a whole bunch of special effects and blow a bunch of stuff up. I mean, I admit that uh, the Fast and Furious movies are a guilty pleasure of mine. I like to see automobiles disobeying the laws of physics as much as anybody else. But, you know, let's face it, uh, a movie like uh, a movie like The Godfather or, or Casablanca, um, those, are, those are movies that uh, have, have stood the test of time uh, for very good reasons. And Bob, you've also done um, a musical. You've made Back to the Future into a musical, which is going to premiere here in the UK. That's amazing. Are you going to be here for that? Can't wait to see it. So you're going to come over and make it into a musical that's happening in the future? Press night, uh, which will be sometime, I believe, uh, uh, in early June. And uh, yeah, believe me, I I was there for all the Manchester rehearsals and uh, and the previews and opening in Manchester. And my God, I, I, I got to be there. It's... My baby. Yes, absolutely. When you're over here, and we'll, 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 I'll come and see the press night, and you can come on my radio show, and we can we can talk musicals too. There are big, big influences. We'll as much to as do as that. that. Yeah. Love to do it. Listen, it's been wonderful talking to you, Bob Gale. Thank you so much. Congratulations on reaching 35 years uh, of Back to the Future. We'll celebrate Back to the Future Day. Uh, until then, Bob Gale. Thanks very much. <laughs> And you can win this beautiful bundle of films written by Bob Gale, the Back to the Future trilogy, in a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. All you've got to do is tell me who was originally cast as Marty McFly before Michael J. Fox. They shot the footage, they started with him, who was it before Michael J. Fox got the part instead? Email me, saggle at jasonsolomons.com and don't forget to give me your address so if you do get the lucky finger of the draw, we can send you this wonderful gift delivered by a DeLorean, of course. Great Scott! 
I think that's it for today. There's plenty of recommendations in there. What a great seen anything good lately. I might just add one more actually to that because I've seen uh, the documentary Ronnie's which is out in cinemas very very soon and it's a film about Ronnie Scott's The London Jazz Club and about its founder Ronnie Scott himself directed very nicely by Oliver Murray and featuring some amazing characters, some London archive and of course amazing music. I love Ronnie Scott's The Club. It's without doubt my favourite London night spot means more to me than any other venue that I can think of. And of course I've seen some amazing people and amazing music there. I love the documentary uh, because of that. And if you're in King's Cross in London on October the 22nd, I'm hosting the premiere at the Everyman Cinema, part of the Everyman Music Film Festival. I've got a Q&A with the director, Ollie Murray, and with some music from the Ronnie Scott's All Stars. They'll be playing in a socially distanced on the screen manner. And it should be a lot of fun. Uh, actual people, actual cinema, actual film, actual company. We don't get a lot of that anymore at the moment. So I'll see you there or I'll see you here next week for more Seen Anything Good Lately recommendations and top guests. I don't know if I'll have anyone quite as good as Ronnie introducing here, as you see in the documentary Ronnie's. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're very proud to present, accompanied by Tommy Flanagan and the quartet, the fabulous Miss Ella Fitzgerald. Thank you. Oh, so neat and sweet.